Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join me in a capital devoid of people, but full of sunshine. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Christilla Jamil, head teacher of Eastfield Primary School, a primary school based in Enfield. Christilla, hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on the program today. Um, before we get into the meat of this uh, discussion on leadership, uh, we need to address the COVID-19 situation, of course. Uh, how has that affected uh, your school? Um, we're a part of a, a mat, and we've used one of the local schools as a hub. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our numbers reduced significantly over the past couple of weeks. Um, I'm also on a journey to move to new schools mm-hmm. where um, we've remained open the whole time. Children have been coming. Um, and we decided last week that we were going to be a, an emergency hub over the Easter holidays for a few of the local schools. And uh, what is the long-term planning here with regards to um, uh, the school year uh, and any sort of qualifications the pupils need to uh, complete? Yeah, well, we've got, um, obviously we have um, in year one, we have the phonics test the children do. Uh, I'm not sure if we'll be back for that. And in year six, we have um, the stats that obviously... um, won't be going ahead. So the children's assessments that were done prior to COVID, um, we'd managed to kept them in, but teacher assessment has been ongoing throughout the children's time in our school. Mm-hmm. So we have a, a, an accurate judgment of where we feel the children are up until uh, the beginning of COVID. So is this going to result in... Um massive uh, amounts of children being held back and having to repeat years or uh, is this something that uh, you know authorities will just decide to recognize that they they were on the right track we're just we're just hand them the qualification and they can move on in their studies i don't i don't i don't know what the right answer is at, at this given moment in time um, it's been really useful going through the past week and, and a couple of days. It's actually been a transitional period for us. Uh, it's really hard uh, to conduct new teaching. And now I'm speaking on behalf of two different settings, uh, the one that I'm about to leave and the one I'm about to join. So um, what we've done is uh, we're going to review next week what we've got in place what's working you can't uh, it's not the same it's not the same as being in school children have been given suggested timetables and suggested activities that most seem to be taking part in um, but not all mm-hmm. so it's quite hard judging um, uh, bespoke teaching in the manner that we used to in class to meet all the needs it, it, it's extremely challenging to do that at a distance. So um, the activities that have been set at the moment, if I'm honest, are to revise and consolidate prior teaching. 
mm-hmm. um, with the lack of clarity as to how long obviously this is going to take we started to forward plans for um, a while ahead uh, but a majority of the teaching I've got to be honest is to consolidate and revise what's already in place now, is there room uh, for setting out virtual classrooms? Uh, most uh, children these days have uh, access uh, to uh, some sort of computer that has video chat available. Is there any reason why a teacher cannot instruct from uh, her own home? Um, again, um, I think, um, with, uh, I'm so sorry, but I'm speaking on behalf of two schools, one that I'm leaving and one that mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I'm joining. I think with one set, um, it could be easier. Uh, with the schools that I'm entering, perhaps not so easy right. to the setup there. So, um, but I think that's a national picture that different schools are at different stages of mm. their journey with technology. And though I feel that yes, it should be that easy, it's something that's uncommon. It's something that's not usual practice. So we'll take time to implement. Obviously, nobody plans a pandemic. No, of course but, not. But um, merely because of the uh, speed at which this occurred, I feel that now this is the best reason to ensure that actually all schools are at the same stage. And I, I just feel that more could be done to enable that to happen if especially at primary level. Right. Now, um, of course, uh, no one wants or planned for uh, this pandemic. Uh, But do you believe that since we've gone through this this time, when this is over with, we will have a a solid uh, emergency plan in situ for uh, if this was to happen again? I think everybody's learning on their feet, to be honest. Um, I've used a variety of networks to support any decisions that we've made. Um, Twitter has been a crucial friend at this moment to connect with people um, in ways that we haven't connected before. So, yes, we would, I would hope it would never happen again. But I think we would be better prepared. Um, mm. The amount of work we've put in to ensure rotors are in place to ensure children's safeguarding is in place is part of what we do. Uh, it was just, I think, along with the stresses and concerns of, for example, staff having to cope with work, but also having to cope with looking after their own families. And these are quite um, unusual challenges that we're facing. A huge amount of our meetings are done online with platforms like Zoom or um, a variety of platforms, but I think it's a different style of communication. So um, we will certainly be more prepared if the need arises. I just hope the need doesn't arise and I hope we get through this. Uh, Absolutely. As best we can, of course, we will get through it. But I think from a teaching point of view, the concerns are the safety of our staff, um, the safety of our children that are at home, um, of course, the learning as well, but there's learning beyond the academics that we would like to continue um, but the concerns are just mounting at the moment and mm. with it just being a week in um, it's it, I mentioned earlier a time where we really have to review and evaluate what's worked well in order to decide how we move in the future mm. 
Well, we might as well switch to our main topic, uh, which is leadership. Uh, I always like to start this conversation off with a very simple question. What does the word leader mean to you? A leader is someone... Um, oh, gosh. It's tricky, actually, when you when you really think on it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Now, of course, there are many different sorts of leaders. There's authoritative leaders, collaborative leaders. Uh, it's a really interesting mix. And I'd imagine within a, a school setting, you need to have a real collaboration uh, of, of peoples. Is that right? Yes, indeed. Um, a leadership team consists of a variety of um, leaders who are accountable mm-hmm. for the children's learning. We have a group of uh, leaders in class, so teachers are leaders of learning, the children they teach. We have a group of middle leaders, sometimes assigned to particular projects um, or subjects. We have senior leaders who oversee that, but they also have their own responsibility and then um, also oversee the not only the learning of the children, the well-being of the staff and the community. Now, unfortunately, our time together is uh, drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Eastfield? Um, it's merely because I'm about to change <laughs> jobs. Um, it, it's, um, uh, I think that once, the chil- once we have some clarity as to when the children are back, Eastfield will pick up the pieces and continue to do what we've always done. I I think it's an unusual time for me to be joining a new set of schools and becoming executive head of two schools of which I have very little knowledge is going to be extremely interesting. I would imagine. My fears are um, on Monday the 20th I go in and um, probably, almost definitely won't have children and staff. So I think it's fair to say that I'm going to be working and planning on my feet as and when I return after Easter. So um, it's an exciting time, but it's also a time where I have to really evaluate what worked well at Easter and see, and I know some of the skills will be transferable, but it's a different community that I'm going to be serving. Mm. So I do have my my fears as well that um, we need, we obviously need to hit the ground running, but we have to lead with ethics and we have to lead with compassion and understand the journey of the new schools. Um, I'm sorry, I can't be more specific than that, but this, this is what I'm facing in April. Well, I'd like to wish you the best of luck in your in your change in positions. And also, uh, when this is over, I'd love to have you back on the program so we can have a far more in-depth conversation about leadership in education. Uh, Chrisilla, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. That was Christilla Jamil, head teacher of Eastfield Primary School. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. 
Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it, and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager obviously like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the colour of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. What a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is 
at the top is absolutely vital for a, a for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of the World Cup against uh, 
Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green from Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, if maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important, to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were a very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year and they've gone fairly well and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows in fact starting this week over the next uh, two or three months and uh, at the end of the theatre shows we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions and the, the, there's I won't mention both they're too long to talk about both questions um, one the other one's a really stupid one it's too long for me to tell you it's absolutely ridiculous yeah. but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It's too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey, or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, 
Uh, well, you want me to tell you if you want. You want you got time? I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in the you know, Channel Islands, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses itself, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, me laugh that If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when see this happened when you must have realized that people teammates began looking at you for leadership um is that something that occurred to you or did you just realize that by by quick one way or the other people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration well possibly that's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now quite frankly that's a new a new question mm. does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, 
and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later. Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, so many, yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding, and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about. Uh, all of them in, in that breath, and there was nobody. And I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me: that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish. After '66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. And there was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was. A big part, I can't stress how big a part that was, and I've said that many, many times, for the success of the team. We had some great players, we had some great players, of course, but without the attitude uh, alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, the the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word word is team. The word is is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that—that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. 
And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over the, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland its parent company, or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.